Welcome back, Outdoor Adventures Podcast, episode five. Um, learn how to count it's four. Is it four? Yeah, we only have four. Episodes. Remember, so we did the first one that Saturday about eight months ago. Oh yeah, no, we, yeah, you're right. It's only two four. more, and then episode four. We were supposed to talk about shed hunting today, but our shed hunting expert has COVID, so we're just going to wing it today and talk about all kinds of good stuff. We're going to update you guys a little bit on the regulation changes in the Department of Fish and Wildlife for the state of Oregon. And if you have questions and you're listening to the podcast and you like the podcast or you have a topic you want us to talk about, you can email us at oapcrewquestions at gmail.com. That's oapcrewquestions at gmail.com. So... I've got Dylan Williams and John Gaderos from West Slope Outdoors with me, and we got a we got a three pack going today, just the three of us. So the content is going to be very riveting. We had a great banter before we hit the record button, and now we're ready to talk. Um, who wants to go first? You want to talk about some of these dates that are changing? Well, do you want to clear the air on some of our previous, previous mishaps, like when I said progress instead of process? Yeah, that was episode one. Oops. Was that episode one? Yeah, it was episode one. Yeah, I would like to clear the air on a couple things. So I said during episode one that uh, the average age of a black-tailed deer is 9 to 12 years. And I what I intended to say was the maximum lifespan would be 9 to 12 years. And I think Dylan and I have talked about this quite a bit off the air. And uh, I don't know of any... Buddy that's ever killed a blacktail over five that I know of. Well, even like mule deer, I don't really hear much over five, six, or maybe five to seven, probably, but definitely not blacktail. Yeah. And when you hear about a long lived blacktail, it's one that's just got a wide range and been sleeping under the timberline lodge or something like that, you know, that's, yeah. that makes it to those long ages. So clearing the air on that. Another thing from one of our listeners that I wanted to bring up is just kind of our motivation for the podcast. Um, if you're listening to this, the whole point of us doing this is just kind of to, number one, it's just for us, right? We're here to just tell our stories and talk to each other about our trips and just it's a good time to spend with each other. But also maybe break down some of those things where people just think we're out there trying to kill something, you know, as far as the hunting side or even the fishing side goes and let people know there's more to it than that, that we're out there for the family and the camaraderie. And I hope that's resonated with the listeners, but that's just clearing the air on kind of why we're doing this. So we're big family guys too. that experience. Like I'd imagine Sam for you with your son, like having him out there, with you when you're doing that stuff it's good learning experiences for him being around us hearing stuff from a different point of view so yeah it's huge i i think all of us grew up this way and we want to pass that on to the next generation so right. my, my i always invite both my kids to come with me if they want to and my daughter hasn't shown much interest but my son has shown some interest so he thinks he wants to be a bow hunter he wants to get started early on that so he's been asking him about buying a bow oh heck yeah that'd be cool go get him one let's get him started you know, if we get a few more listeners, uh, I might be able to afford a bow for him. Yeah. yeah you heard it here. Point. Send it out to people you know. Yeah. Yeah. Bring if you can. Out. All right. So, John, hit it. All right. So, what we got here? Some new dates. 
Yeah, we're mostly going to talk about the date changes from season and what that impact is going to be on your hunting opportunities. Well, that too, and then like when you can put in for your tags, that deadline, and when we'll hear back. And spring bear, we all put in for spring bear this year, and Johnny's the only one that drew a tag. The rest of us got, uh, we, we did not, we were unsuccessful in our draw. You did lucky dog. I think that starts, what, April 1st. So they did change, I saw, that, because it used to be May, May 15th. Yeah, May 15th. Was the deadline to put in for tags. And now it is the 25th you have until you can put in for them. So it gives you a little bit longer, a little bit more time, just in case you forget. And they are deciding that they can release the results a lot sooner too. Can hear back on the 12th now instead of the 20th or whenever they decide to. The well, I always feel like that that was like, it never really always, it didn't, it didn't seem like it always land on the same day when you hear back. Right. Like sometimes it was a little earlier, maybe the next day, it was like a little day later or whatever, you know? Like I always thought it was up in the air on when you're going to hear. And that's the 12th of June, right, John? Uh, correct. Okay. I'm the guy that January 2nd comes along and I'm putting in for all my tags. So I get excited. This year I held back. I didn't apply till February. So I like Dang. to wait till the last minute. Usually. Yeah. In the old days, you'd get in that line at Bymart or Fred Myers yeah. and there'd be 30 other guys in front of you and everybody's got their scrap paper and figuring out what they're going to put in for. On so. May 15th, 5.40 p.m. <laughs> That's get awesome. ready to wait for 40 minutes. Do you want to talk about the new season dates? Yeah, so, I mean, I noticed, or probably like everyone else, that the dates are kind of different. It kind of got pushed back about a week for everything. It's like Eastern Oregon deer, you're looking at October 7th through October 18th. That's the unit units 31 through 77. Um West Cascade Bull Elk is now November 11th through the 17th of November. Um, Rocky Mountain Bull Elk is November 1st through the 15th. Um, second season for the Rocky Mountain Bull Elk is November 11th through November 19th. And so, so all those seasons, there. they got pushed out, right, from where they were before? Yeah, about a week. Pushed about a week out. And then Coast Bull Elk first season, this is all... Uh, the rifle seasons, uh, November 18th through November 21st. The second season for Coast is November 25th through December 1st. And then the South Coast Controlled Bull Elk is the 18th of November through the 22nd and November 25th through December 3rd. And what do you think the impact of these seasons starting a little later, ending a little later is going to be on success rates? Um, well, I think, especially in eastern Oregon, it's been hot over there. I, I don't know if it's going to make a huge difference being pushed back a week. I'm not really sure. I know we've been into some weather somewhat early into the years every once in a while, but, like, shoot, last year it was hot over there. I remember that because we went over to – um, one of the units we hunted took my grandma over there, and it was mid. You're wearing a 
short sleeve t-shirt every day. Yeah. You know, you didn't have, you put a sweatshirt on in the morning, but it's just because the sky's always clear and it's cold at night. But um, I think that once you get, and I'm hoping after that October 7th and you get through that, that first part of the season, we might see a little bit more weather is kind of what I'm hoping for. Um, Cause on, and honestly, I've never even had a hunt over there where it's been, had any weather. I think you did. Yeah. We had snow that when I had my tag over there. Yeah. But that was like, a like the next year was my hunt. Right. And it was 80. Yeah. The whole time we were there. Even on my hunt, like it was sunny for most of it. And then we just woke up one morning and we were covered in snow when we were sleeping outside in the cots. Yeah, that was pretty sweet. My <laughs> foot was through the bottom of the sleeping bag, just coated in snow. Oh, that's sweet. Um, and then I know that um, Western Oregon general season tag for rifle is now October 2nd through November 1st. Is that right? 7th. Octo- oh, yeah. October 7th through November 1st. November 10th. 10th. Hey, I'm just going to sign off. <laughs> uh, but that there, too, for that hunt, I'm going to predict that those rifle hunters for that general season are going to see a good chunk of that rut action. It's already so, been the last two or three years ready towards the end of the rifle tags, I feel like. you know, yeah. I don't know if it's weather patterns or what, but it seems like blacktail have gotten ready faster than they had previously uh, in you know other years, the last few, I've noticed. And so, yeah, you add that extra week on the backside, I got to think there's a lot of red opportunities. I would think blacktail number success would go up. Yeah, hopefully. And hopefully it's with mature blacktails too. I know those small ones get pretty rutted up and excited and put themselves in some very vulnerable situations. I hope that doesn't affect anything when it when we get deeper into that season um and then i know for archery too for that early season it's september 2nd through october 1st which hopefully like for those elk hunters that hunt with their bow hopefully that's going to give them a way better opportunity maybe hit a little bit more of that seat that rutting season for those elk um yeah i'd imagine so yeah most of the the elk guys that I know, they don't even hunt until the last week because that's when those elk are getting ready. So they won't respond to a call until last week of season. So if you push that out a week, then potentially you got a good solid 10 days of calling in a bull. You right. know? Um, what about the general season for archery? For deer? Yeah, like the, the second season. Oh, like late season? Yeah. I think it's November, looks like November 25th to December 17th. Oh, wow, that's later. That's yeah. really late. It is. Yeah. That'll be nice, too. That's also going to suck, though, because that's going to be pretty cold. Well, yeah, and I imagine you're going to probably get the real tail end of the rut. Like, you probably got that first weekend, possibly that first week of pretty decent hunting. I mean, it also just depends on what the deer are doing at that point, right? Like, if they... Maybe the rut's going to be a little later this year. Who knows? But um, you might see more of just like a tail end rut action that it might really die down after, I don't know, a couple weeks of doing that. I'm just hoping we get some better weather than we had this last year. This last rifle season was rough. Yeah, it was like living in Arizona. 
They kill some big bucks and elk in Arizona. Yeah, but they're Yeah, but we didn't do that. Okay. The weather was like Arizona. Sorry, Sam. Yeah. Everything's still open in Arizona because it's always hot. Everything gets closed down here. So fire fire danger and yeah. stuff. Yeah. We've had some weird weather in general this winter. I mean, we just got through a little snowy patch and it was about forty degrees this morning and windy and I was flying all over the road on the way here. So when it was way warmer like two weeks ago right and then all of a sudden cold front hits and we got snow the next day it's like what the heck's going on but what about um i'm interested about like some of those can you find like the eastern oregon uh muzzleloader because i know i i know everything's pretty much all pushed back a week but i imagine some of those hunts are going to be people are going to be going after those ones pretty good so it looks like a lot of those start like October 21st, go till the 29th. Yeah. So you get an eight-day hunt. Yeah. Which that'll be pretty good during that that time of the year. Should be pretty good over there. You guys have been on how many muzzleloader hunts? Well, your dad has had it a few times. Yeah, my dad, my dad loves doing that hunt. He tries to get it every year that he can. And he had it in Eastern Oregon once, mm-hmm. and he, they noticed some red activity. It was er, probably a week earlier in this one. Right. And they were noticing some over there. I don't know how different it is, you know, rut times compared to over here. I know elevation probably has something to do with it and weather and all that stuff. So You think about, too, like when we would have our elk tags over, the, over east, seeing all the rut activity with the deer oh, and stuff man. going on that's nuts oh it's crazy you see some big bucks probably yeah oh, i've yeah. never been over there during that time so it's mule deer and the rut would be a whole different game i think well that's the best part about hunting elk and our and the unit we hunt deer because you go over there and you see the bucks you didn't get to see during rifle season and it is unbelievable what comes out of the woodworks mm. it's awesome yeah, um, another thing we want to do on the program here is start a beginner series. So we were going to talk about, you know, how do you get your kids started in hunting and what's the best place to start or look at, you know, crabbing 101, clamming 101. And so we're going to start a series like that. But for anyone listening to this episode, and let's say some of the stuff we're saying may not even make sense to a non-hunter. And so breaking it down to if this is your first year and you want to get started and you've got, let's say you got a 12-year-old, at home uh, that's ready and thinks they want to get into hunting, where do you get them started? What what are you guys' thoughts on that? Well, first thing, I know Oregon has a lot of options for – and one thing I will say about ODFW, they do a really good job trying to get youth involved. Um, My kid's obviously only eight months, so I don't – I'm not going to have this problem yet. But one thing that I would definitely look into – is the youth mentor program. Um, My wife still has four points. Those points never expire. Trying to actually go through the process of getting those put into a series four right now. But when the, your kid turns nine, you're able to get them basically an additional point. So you can get them basically two points a year from the time they're nine until 15 or something like that. Um, to where you're going to basically guarantee that they're going to have two points each year leading into that. And then they have an option also 
for a um, guaranteed tag. But so how that works is you have to be unsuccessful in the draw and then you would submit. I don't know if it's a form or what you guys got to do. Like I said, I don't have a kid hunting, so I haven't looked too much into it. I just heard from other people. Um, but you bas basically submit a form or talk to ODFW or something, and then you basically are guaranteed that tag, just as long as you're unsuccessful. Yeah, and my son is 11, and so we've been putting in for the youth mentored point, which all it is is you take him hunting with you. He could shoot your animal if you wanted him to. We haven't done that. Um, but then we can also buy him a point every year. So, you know, when he's ready to go next year at age 12, he's going to have up to six points that he could do something with if he wanted to. So it's a good way to get him started. And I think, you know, just on the basic shooting and gun safety stuff, back in the old days, there was always hunter safety courses. Those are kind of harder to find now. I mean, you could look online or maybe watch a YouTube video or something, but you know, muzzle control and knowing where your gun needs to be pointed, making sure that you treat every gun as if it's loaded, um, getting some time behind the sights and starting with maybe a BB gun and sh plunking it targets or cans or, you know, getting that skill set up if they're going to shoot with a rifle. And obviously, like my son wants to pursue bow hunting. And to me, there's a lot more practice involved in that sport. So he's, you know, he'd have to get fitted for a bow that would fit him right and that he could pull back comfortably and, and get him practicing throwing some arrows. So Yeah, and then I'd also say, I mean, especially, you know, if even if it's your first time hunting or, you know, and you and your kid are going to try to get in together, first thing I do is go pick up synopsis. They're free. So I'd go pick one up. Everything you need to know about youth hunting starts on page 22. And then just flip through that, read everything in here. It's great information, stuff that you need to know. Um, and it will tell you all this stuff. Mentored youth programs on page uh, 23 is getting into that. Um, and, yeah, just it breaks things down really nice. And it will help you understand, um, give you a better idea, and ask around. I mean, there's so many people out there that are willing to help. I mean, send us an email. We'll, ask, we'll answer any question you guys got. Um, but yeah, youth hunting is unbelievable here. There's those rut tags over on the West side that I was fortunate enough to draw as a youth. I got one or I got twice. Yeah. Two times. Yeah. I got that twice. And then also the general season, uh, the youth have an additional weekend tack to the end of the hunting season. So I took advantage of that I think bolt. So the, Youth tags you can draw are in a 600 series. Right. So it's a whole additional tag to your actual buck tag. So if you're hunting general season, you basically, that kid, if they have the 600 series tag and a 100 series tag, you're going to get the opportunity for two different deer. Oh, wow. So like for me, for the, each year that I had those youth tags, I had, um, I shot my, I shot four deer both years. Actually, two deer each two deer year. Don't want to, hey, no one come after that. Right. Uh, but like the first year I shot a buck, it was on that youth extended weekend. It was Saturday morning, and those butts, bucks are starting to rut. And then turn around, I don't know, it was another week, two weeks. Got to go out and hunt again. I shot another buck. It was fantastic. It was an awesome hunt. I feel like that's another big thing, too, is like if you're trying to get your kid out there hunting or even yourself 
you know, just go out there. You know, even if you're not bringing a gun, go drive around the woods, go get out, walk around, you know, just check stuff out, see what's out there. You know, that's what I like to do. I mean, and I've hunt all the time, but I still love just driving around, seeing what I can see. It's always something new when you're out there, which is nice. Yeah. And that's another thing that came up feedback wise out of our first episode is we talked about road hunting and we talked about beating the brush, but we didn't really define what that is. And so a lot of people grew up road hunting, which is just, you're getting in the pickup, you're driving old County roads or you're, you know, you're way out, you know, on warehouser ground or wherever. And <clears throat> you're driving those roads and looking for animals. And kind of, I think what we alluded to is that's, you know, if, if you happen to see an animal that way, great. And, you know, obviously you've got to get out of your vehicle and get, you know, I, uh, that's another thing that's confusing in the regulations. It's I've heard as long as you're, you know, out of your vehicle, you can shoot as long as it's not a, across a road or on a main road or whatever. I've also heard you have to get your feet off of the road. So that's something that's always kind of debated. But um, so that's what my vision of what road hunting is. And then beating the brush is typically, you know, you're driving to a destination and then getting out and going out however far you have to get out. Um, and like Kyler talked about wilderness hunts. So that's, you know, he's hiking in and sleeping wherever he ends up and hiking hard every day. And I've never done a, what I would consider a wilderness hunt. Like we always have a base camp and then we go out from there. But we've been on some times where like, you were covering a lot of miles. Like I'm not a guy that tracks his steps, but I got to think, you know, there's days where you're going 10 to 20 miles in a day, I would think. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I know around here in Western Oregon, John and I do a lot of hunting together. Um, and we hunt, you know, timber ground. And a lot of the places we go, the gate's closed, but walk-in access. So we do a lot of walk-ins, um, stuff like that. But, we're hunting off of the you could kind of call it road hunting in a way because you're basically we're basically walking the whole the road and we'll glass clear cuts we'll sometimes do a walk through timber just depends on the situation and um time of year weather all that kind of stuff comes in factor um but also in western oregon be prepared if you're just starting to hunt to get wet just be prepared get the best rain gear that you guys you, that you can possibly afford and bundle up be warm be comfortable because as soon as you get out of the vehicle to start walking you're immediately wet and definitely get good boots something insulated something waterproof something to keep your freaking feet warm because i can't tell you how many times john and i've walked in and i've went oh, i don't need boots i'll just wear romeos and it's the worst mistake i've ever made or when Sam showed up and he forgot his boots and all he had was a pair of Skechers. And we went probably eight miles that day. Yeah, my feet were soaked. <laughs> but it was it was one of those things where you show up for the hunt and you're underprepared. <clears throat> you're not going to mess up the whole day, right? So I just went for it. And my boots were sitting at home like on the <laughs> kitchen counter or something, you know, once I got home that day. Is that I, when he was wearing his uh, snow bibs too? I, the snow camo? I think that was the next... Yeah, I don't. I don't think that was that time. Yeah, I, I um, bow hunting and showed up in snow bibs. I uh, went God. on a salmon fishing trip one day, 
like that where it was it, the weather was beautiful in the morning and I was just like, oh, I don't need rain gear today, you know. And you get on the <laughs> I get on the boat with all the other guys and it was a friend of mine and he just had an empty spot. He's a guide, but you know, it was a little early season. They just wanted to see if there was any fish in the river and we start heading up the hole and it just starts raining buckets and I am like my sweatshirt is just soaked you know uh and I, and he kept going you know this is just a trial run the fishing might not be that good if you want to go back and I'm like no I'm not messing up the fishing for everybody else I'll be fine you know yeah so you suffer through those misery days and then you're like okay I'm never never in Oregon you have to have rain gear it can be beautiful one minute and then dumping on you the next and even if it didn't rain the day you're hunting especially over on the coast, if you're going down in that thick, thick brush, you're going to be coated no matter what from yeah. the previous day's rain. So, oh, yeah. Well, then also, too, just to touch a little bit more on the road hunting and uh, beating the brush, uh, road hunting, we road hunt a lot, especially in Western Oregon. It's just so thick and brushy in some spots. You, It's like... I know a lot of people do it. A lot of people are very successful doing it that way, which is great. So if that's something you want to do, do it. But when we road hunt, a lot of the times we get in the pickup and we just kind of go from clear cut to clear cut. We'll just glass and then um, keep going. Next clear cut, glass some more until we start picking deer out. Then you make a play on them from there. But it's just also a way for us just to stay warm and dry until that moment we pull the trigger and we have to go to work. Yeah. I think also, um, if you're getting started and you want to take your kid out hunting, parking at one of those gates, you know, Starker gives out permits to hunt their ground and they'll show you the maps and where to go. And they want some of those deer thinned out so that they're not eating all their new plant timber, you know, and, um, that's a safe way to do it. You're not going to get lost. You're walking on a road typically, um, I like to get out on some of the cat roads and things like that. If I'm, you know, with the, the whole point is you're trying to get your kid excited about hunting. And so you're going to see something if you get out and walk around, there's no doubt. It may not be something you can harvest, but you're going to see some animals no matter what. And like we've talked before, a day in the woods is so much better than a day doing anything else. And you just the, the times that you don't see the animal you're looking for, you're still going to see rabbits or eagles or squirrels or whatever you're always going to see something and the whole point is trying to get your kid excited about you know just being outside yeah yeah and just like building those memories together too like because that's i mean that's the stuff that they'll remember forever like oh yeah i remember that first time you took me hunting and we saw this or we saw that like yeah maybe you didn't shoot a deer or anything but you still have those memories that they'll never go away Another good thing, too, is if you have them out in the woods or whatever, there's a good chance you're going to come across a grouse, right? So that's another thing that you can get them comfortable actually putting a gun up, holding it, and whatever. I couldn't tell you the season dates for grouse hunting. Couldn't tell you the limit. Um, we look into it every year before we go hunting. Just right now, it's just I don't have it in my, in my brain. But – it's a great opportunity for a kid to get out there and learn about the harvest and how to clean an animal, take care of one properly, and be able to also eat it when yeah. the time comes. And grouse is fantastic. 
Oh, I love grouse. Yeah. yeah and growing up, you know, all you need is a hunting license to hunt rough grouse or blue grouse. And I think the limit's typically three a day um, of either species or <clears throat> you can have a mixed bag. You know, you could shoot a blue grouse and two rough grouse or whatever. Um, but I, I'm just going off the top of my head from previous years. Um, now, the two of you have hunted a lot with each other. So um, tell us just kind of how that happened. And I mean, talk about your friendship and how it's, you know, how hunting has become part of just something you do with each other and how that, I guess how that came about and how it's changed over the years. Well, it originally started with baseball. Yeah, I was about to say, right? we didn't, we didn't start hunting together till like quite a while into our friendship really. Yeah. Cause well, we didn't, our first hunt, I was probably a sophomore in high school. Yeah, I think so. And that was just an Eastern or Western Oregon hunt. And it was kind of, if I remember right, it was kind of you and your dad's kind of first experience being into some of that area yeah, um, where we hunt. So it was, it was pretty cool because now I get to, I'm excited. I get to take my best friend to some of my favorite spots, you know? So um, we went up there, we had some great moments, great laughs. And if I remember, I don't know if that was the year that you killed that three point. I think it was, that was one of our like first hunts together was when I had that youth late season tag and we went up there and filled it. Man, that was fun. But then, yeah, then we started, um, John, John bought a bow and then I don't know, probably two weeks later I bought a bow, you know, and then that's kind of how our friendship kind of progressed. We turned more into brothers than friends, you know? So like, John bought a house. Oh, he bought a house. I'm buying a house. Next month, I bought a house. And then I got engaged, married. John's engaged, you know? Um, so we always gone back and forth like that. But once we started bow hunting, um, we freaking fell in love with it. We were going over east all the time. We did a awesome two-week hunting trip um, in eastern Oregon. We each shot a deer. It was the funnest trip I've ever been on by far. And I've got to go on some very cool experiences, but that one alone, always I always end up thinking about it. And that was archery over there? Yep, archery. I think we had deer and elk. We saw herd elk. Yeah. Um, we had cows run across the road in front of us. I was at right at dark. Um, we were heading out. But, yeah, it was that experience alone – May, grew us way closer because spending two weeks in the woods, no cell service. In a trailer. In a 30-foot <laughs> camp trailer, four people. It is tight living. Yeah, the smells are the probably. The smells. In the middle of summer when it's 100 degrees out yeah. there. And yeah, that, that archery hunting is fun, but the weather is definitely warm compared to fall hunting. Yeah, well, that's the benefit of having a trailer. You got air conditioning in that thing. There's no other way to do it. If if you're gonna be over there, that's that hot. No other, no better way than to have something with air conditioning. In uh, a shower. Yes, very much so. But and then I think kind of just from there, like we've never not gone after that. Like it just all uh, after John's youth hunt that first year he shot that three point. It, it we've never not hunted with each other. So every year after that, we just like he was just my we were hunting buddies. That was the guy I was putting in tags with. That was just my, that was our thing mm -hmm. after that. 
Yeah, and I think, you know, for me, I always hunted with our uncles and my dad and my brothers and cousins. And, you know, you'd go to a family reunion and all you wanted to talk about was what are we going to do next hunting season, <laughs> you know? So I'd sit down with your grandpa, my uncle Billy, and I would be like, just talking about the hunt. What are we going to, where are we going to put in? What are we going to do? What are we going to eat? You know, what's the strategy, you know? And it was so, and I mean, Dylan, you and I have done this a few times too. We always have these elaborate plans of we're going to put, <laughs> we're going to put tree stands there next year. And we saw all these bucks and we're going to be ready. And we very rarely actually do it. You know, I explained to my son after this last hunting season that what gets said in hunting camp isn't what actually happens in the real world. <laughs> like, you know, there's some things that we all get like, this is going to be our new life and we're going to build that cabin out there and we're all going to go in on this piece of ground together and, and buy all these acres. And oh, yeah, yeah. We, we still haven't got around to that yet. Well, it's like the Williams curse, kind of. You know, we always say something that we're going to do and then five months goes by and we don't even remember saying it, right. you know? Uh but, like, even for John, like, he just kind of became a part of the family. And he, like, he went on – he's been on almost all of your guys' hunts yeah. over there. Like, he went on yours, Sam, and then Uncle Charlie and Grandpa Billy. Did they have tags? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that was the same that year. The same but, year, yeah, yeah. But, like, he, yeah, John's always been with us. It's just an extension to it. Oh, yeah. And what's amazing about John is, you know – he'll do anything you want him to do. So if you, you know, you shoot a coyote, John, and you want to do something with a hide, John's the first one cutting into that thing. I mean, John, John does whatever he's asked to do and he's a humble guy, but also very willing to like, he's worked with my son, showed him how to shoot and do some different things. And so is your dad, John. So, I mean, it's great having those guys in camp. Well, and then also being around that, that our older group of people in the Williams family over there hunting, like, yeah, like, my dad always has taught me just about everything I know, but, like, when you get to hear some of the same stuff that he's already said in a different way and it's going to maybe shed a little bit more light on that situation from some of those other people, it always sticks to me in those moments. And John's taught me a lot, too, like, about hunting, glassing, uh, how we move, shooting, everything. Well, and you're in different environments, so I remember your dad teaching me how to drive in the snow. So I'd never driven in the snow. We don't get that much snow. But when you're out in the mountains at a higher elevation, you're going to bump into some snow once in a while. And so he was just showing us, and it was me and I think our cousin Russell and my brother, and he was just teaching us all like how to, you know, not slam on our brakes immediately or step on the gas super hard and, you know, just the basic stuff. But we were young and we were like little sponges. And I still think about that. Like when I'm driving in the snow now, I'm like, okay, what did your cousin Jason say? To you? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think that's like one of the great things too, about hunting and like going to, you know, camp and stuff like that is it's always so much more than just hunting. Like it's life lessons, like, everything like you never know what's going to happen or what you're going to learn or anything like that yeah well especially going back to my dad about the driving thing talk about dale earnhardt yeah. right <laughs> behind the steering wheel that dude can drive in any condition and just figure it out it's well, pretty impressive i will say well and your term for that i remember we went on a trip for his birthday and you're like it's about to get a little western <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh yeah we're pulling a trailer and a about a foot of just ice-covered snow. 
trying to go up to our favorite spot. And we were going to shed hunt, but the sheds were probably two feet under <laughs> under snow. Oh, man. That was a wet trip. Yeah. It was he, fun, though. We had a good time. That was a lot of fun. He asked me the other day, he's like, we're not going camping for my for my birthday? And I was like, well, we don't really want to go in the snow. Yeah. I think we need to push that out to May. Yeah, you know, we'll do a May trip. Yeah. I think when we planned it, though, I'm pretty sure he said, oh, no, there's not going to be any snow there. Yeah, well, I didn't even really anticipate there to be that much snow, yeah. but it gets so cold in the mornings because, like, you're we were looking at the weather throughout you know a couple months, no snow in the forecast, but it got so cold at night that even if when it got up to forty during the day, that snow never melted. Yeah, yeah, our elk tent was like seven inches of ice <laughs> in the tent the entire time, and remember we. Uh, we were all in Romeos and blue jeans, so yeah. talking about being underprepared for and the weather. So nobody we, packed for the weather. No, it. no. So. Well, then we get up there. My dad goes, "Well, let's unhook the trailer. I'm going to go up there. I'm going to turn around." Okay. Next thing you know, we look up there, and he thought that what was a turnaround because the snow was so deep. It was just driving down the bank into the, uh, in just into the nature. And as soon as he turned, I just like remember hearing just him peeling. I look out there and I'm like, oh, this is going to be a day. It was a long day. You did a lot of digging. A lot of digging with an axe. Yeah. Didn't you use like some mango slices too? Well, yeah, we were trying to get hand. traction yeah. under the tires. So we threw some foam pads. Uh, yeah, there was a bag of uh, dried mango that got thrown in the tires yeah. at one time. It, none of that actually worked, no. but we did try it. We did try it. We, and we had a ratchet on a tree. The littlest ratchet strap ever. Like that was going to move that truck. Yeah. I still had, I had a cut from that ratchet strap for a long time. You can still feel the little bump right here. Shout out to that state trooper that showed up. Yeah. Finally gave me a shovel about after an hour and a half. We were still like, my dad and I were still like an hour and a half away or something like that. We had to stop at the store and, get some come-alongs and stuff like that. And then once we get there, you guys are already out. We didn't even have to worry about it. Oh, I forgot that part. Yeah. Uh, my dad just decided, like, after a while, he's like, just dig around the front for a second. And then he hops in and just takes off straight, does this loop around the tree, comes right back out, heads back down to the trailer. Sam, he didn't wait for Sam and I, so we had to walk <laughs> all the way back down to the trailer. Hey, he had to keep moving. Yeah. He wasn't risking being... And stuck then, in the snow again. But still, like, he has, like, I've been with him quite a few times, and, like, we've gotten stuck before, but still, like, if I had to trust somebody to drive me around, he's it. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. yeah. I have an, I used to have an 87 Nissan pickup. That was my first vehicle, and uh, it was two-wheel drive, and the, it was a king cab, so I had those little seats in the back. You know, little miniature seats yeah. are super comfortable. I'd put my two little brothers in there with me, and we'd go out hunting in this 87 two-wheel drive pickup. And we'd go way up there on some crazy roads, and, we, you know, we'd park for a while, and we'd go walk around, and then we'd get back in the truck and go find another spot. And I remember one time we pulled up, and it was a pretty muddy spot, obviously muddy. I'm like, oh, we'll be fine. We'll just park here and go for a little hunt and – we come back and we could, that thing was buried and, you know, two wheel drive. <laughs> and so we're digging and covered in mud, piling sticks like a beaver dam under this thing. And we finally got out. But 
you know, those are the times you remember, right? It, yeah. You know, and at no cell service. And I was maybe like, I don't know how old I was, but I want to say 17, 18, you know, and I've got my two little brothers with me and I've got them stuck. And I'm going, oh, we have nothing to camp overnight if we needed to. So anyone listening out there, pack an emergency bag would be a good idea. We've never done it. We've never, we've never taken our own advice. But prepare for if you did get in that situation that, well, number one, they say this. This is hunting 101. Tell somebody where you're going, right? Yeah. So, you know, for us, when we were kids, it was telling our parents, hey, we're going to be here. The problem is once you get out there, you're like, oh, let's go here. Yeah. You could be 15 <laughs> miles away from where you are supposed to be. But um, And tell people when you're coming back because if, if they don't know, they might think, oh, they just did an overnight trip, <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. One of my worst fears is... My mom gets super worried about us, you know, like if... Because she hears it, these stories. Yeah. <laughs> well, then, like, my dad in high school, this obviously a long time ago, him and one of his best friends, they were up there, and his best friends pick up, up the spot we hunt up on the pass called Deer Creek. And uh, they got... They were moving along just fine. They were down their tires. They knew they were going to be in the snow. And then they get out to pee. Next thing you know, they get to get back and pick up. They won't even move. It's just sitting there, just spinning. And this is before cell phones. So that moment from there, like they were sending, my mom called the, basically called the SWAT team in, anybody she could get a hold of to head up there and get them. Next day around, I don't know, 1130, here comes my dad walking through the front door. And my mom was not happy. So then when we started going back up there, um, every time that it would get dark and we would get back into cell phone service, I would have 15 missed calls from my mom. Mm -hmm. And my dad always tells her every single day, this is where we're going. Tells her exactly our route, exactly what we do, because we do the same thing every time. It's just what we found that works. And um, we will not be home until after dark. Mm -hmm. But... As soon as it gets dark, my mom just starts freaking out. Like, where are they? Are they okay? And that moment when you have to give her a call and she's like, how come I haven't heard from you yet? You know, like at least we have cell phones now that you can at least reach them if you need to. And there's some little spots where you can get service up in the mountains, but it's very rare. So definitely tell people where you're going to be at all times. That's that's a big piece of advice. Well, and the, those in-reach minis, right? They sell them at Costco for 300 oh, 400 yeah. bucks. And I don't know if there's a subscription with those. I still haven't upgraded to one of those, but they work anywhere. Yeah. You're not going to get lost if you have one of those. There's, there's times, no matter what, no matter how proficient you are in the woods, you can get turned around. And you just... I worked for the Forest Service in Colorado, and we hiked this area called the Lost Lakes Wilderness. So, you know, it's in the name. People get lost out there. (laughs) So we're hiking and we're like, I mean, we're way out there, seven, eight miles out. And, um, you know, just from the main trail. And we're trying to find these endangered toads. So it was a toad survey that I was on. I worked for the Forest Service. (laughs) But we had these crazy, like, you know, big old school with a big antenna way to talk to the main office, you know? So we check in as soon as we get at our location and we, we tell them where we were at and they'd radio us back just so they knew where we were at. Well, my partner and I, 
we got separated. So she went one way and I went another way and we were on the fish crew together and we were on these toad surveys and we're walking around the lakes looking for toads basically. Um, and it was beautiful. I mean, we're at like 8,000 feet. We'd see elk herds every day and, um, tons of like, I call them pickup sticks, but where wind was just blown over a bunch of small timber. And so you're walking over all that stuff. Well, you know, you're looking at the ground for toads. You're not really paying attention to where you're walking. And she went one way and I went another way. Next thing you know, we couldn't, we didn't know where each other were. So I keep walking and I get on a little game trail and I start following it. Um, and I'm thinking it's taking me back to the main trail, but we're, I mean, we're talking miles here. And so I'm heading back to the main trail and I'm just going, man, I'm hoping she's back at the main trail, you know? And, uh, at this point I'm starting to pray. I'm like, God, I need to get out of here. I don't want to spend the night out here. I, I'm praying for her. I was really worried about her being out there too. And so I turn around and I go the opposite way of where I was going. And I felt, you know, and I went a long ways the wrong way when I turned around. And I felt like God tell me, hey, you, you're, you were almost there and you turned around. And so and then I turned back around, went back the way I was going, but kept going. I get out at the main trail. I'm almost to the main trail, and I'm starting to lose hope again. And this pregnant cow comes out in the middle of the trail. And I, to this day, I think she was an angel. She comes out of the middle of the trail and starts waddling back and forth, just super pregnant, like with twins or something. All the other cows had dropped their calves already. So it didn't make sense to see this pregnant cow out in the middle of nowhere. She's waddling on the trail, and I'm like, okay, there's my sign. And I follow her to the main trail. As soon as I get there, that cow disappears. Like, I don't know where she went. And my partner comes walking out of the woods. We're both crying, hugging each other because we've been lost for, it's starting to get dark. Been lost for like five hours, you know? And it was, I'll never forget that moment of relief when I saw her. And I was, I wasn't worried about myself. I was just worried about her. But I was also very underprepared to be spending the night out there. You know, and we had a radio. I mean, we, I had the radio with me. That was why I was worried about her more than me because I could have gone, Hey, I don't know where I'm at. Someone's yeah. going to have to come find me, you know. <laughs> but anyway, we hugged each other, sat there for a minute. We both had tears in our eyes and then we started heading to the, the rig to go home. So that's great. Remember, we had an uh, uh, instance like that too when we were hunting, bow hunting late season up uh, oh, yeah. over here and we, took this road that we had never taken before. All my idea, by the all, way. All Dylan's idea. He's like, oh, yeah, I've been here before. <laughs> and so we go walking, and it's getting close to start being dark, and it's pouring down rain. We were both soaked. And he's like, oh, yeah, we just got to go down through these trees, and we'll be right there. Like, we'll be out in no time. So we drop off into the trees. Next thing you know, we're up in this clear cut, and he's like, yeah, I'm going to be honest We've never been here before. I have no idea where we're at. So then we had to turn back around, go back up the other side of the clear cut through these trees. And it's probably by then, probably 10, 9, 10 o'clock at night, just still pouring down rain. We finally get out to the truck. It's like close to midnight. We get back in the service. Our phones are just blowing up from our parents, freaking out. And we're just like, man, that was... Uh, that was a that was a rough one. How old were you guys on that one? High school. Yeah, high school. Uh, yeah, probably the same age as, or probably the next year after John had that youth tag. I bet. Yeah. So your folks were definitely not thrilled on that yeah, one. They were no. Happy. Yeah. And well, it, it was probably during the week too, so we probably had school the next yeah, day. And I'm pretty sure it was after school. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
But yeah, then the the only benefit to here is like over here, most of the places you go, not saying all of the places, but if you're on timber property, most of the time you're going to hit a road. Right. So that can be good I mean, or bad though, right? Sometimes that yeah. road seems like, oh, I'm saved by this road, but then that could be a road to nowhere. Oh yeah, you could hit dead ends, but there's always a main line you'll get on and it'll take you'll get out. It's just you don't know where you're gonna go. So another awesome tool, obviously the Onyx app. Yeah. You know, if you download your maps ahead of time, um, then really, I mean, I'm not as I just got Onyx last year. Finally, I, I always did the free trial, you know, for seven days, and then I'd start a new free trial. And uh, but Kyler has been using one for a long time, and um, anyway, uh, he, I always have confidence with him that I'm not going to get lost because he can show us exactly where we're at. Well, sometimes, though, he'll take you. No, this is the fastest way. But get your rock climbing gear on. All right, fellas. We're going to have to wrap it up. All righty. It's good talking with you both. All you right. too. Yep. Thanks, Sam. <laughs>